Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard, host of Uncover Charmini from CBC Podcasts. In 1999, 15-year-old Charmini Anandavel disappeared on her way to a job that police believed didn't exist. Four months later, her remains were found in a wooded ravine. I revisit the case that has stayed with me for over 20 years, ever since I first covered it as a cub crime reporter for the Toronto Star. You can find Uncover Charmini on CBC Listen or on your favourite podcast app. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Tick populations are expanding across Canada and not just in rural areas or green spaces. There are ticks in your backyard, even if you live in the city. Some of those ticks spread diseases like Lyme. So this week we're asking, what do I need to know about ticks? Hi, Isaac. Welcome back to The Dose. Hey, Brian. Great to chat. Thanks for having me back. Have you ever been bitten by a tick before? Uh, yeah. Lots. Lots? So what do you do that uh, gets you bitten by ticks? Uh, uh, well, I spend as much of my summer <laughs> out of doors. Uh, and a lot of my summer out of doors is, uh, you know, hiking, canoeing, uh, hanging out in areas where there's ticks. And uh, a lot of that was spent in northern Ontario, canoe trips and whatnot growing up. But, uh, you know, tick bites are a part of being outdoors. And in all fairness, I, you know, I know we're going to talk about Lyme, I know we're going to talk about ticks, I know we're going to talk about tick-transmitted illnesses, but I think the take-home point is we are blessed with by living in one of the best countries on the planet and, and blessed with incredible, endless nature, and I hope Canadians go and enjoy that. And, you know, ticks are certainly a tiny component of this that we can easily manage and get around. So, yeah, we got to be aware of them, we not got to know how to manage them, but we should all be outside enjoying uh, the beauty that Canada is, especially in the summer. Well put, Isaac. Uh, before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, and tell us what you do and where you do it? Just ad lib. Absolutely. I'm Isaac Bogosh. I'm an infectious diseases physician and scientist. I'm based out of the Toronto General Hospital. Okay, here we go. Uh, we'll get to Lyme disease specifically in a moment, but uh, I'm just curious. You're the expert. What other diseases do ticks transmit? Oh, well, ticks transmit a myriad of illnesses. Specifically in Canada, there's you know certain types of ticks and certain types of ticks transmit certain types of infections. But in general, ticks transmit bacterial infections such as Lyme. And then less common bacterial infections that we see include uh, something called anaplasmosis, something called Rocky Mountain spotted fever, another bacteria called tularemia. Ticks can transmit parasitic infections and the classic parasitic infection, at least in North America, is, a, is one called babesiosis. Uh, and then lastly, ticks can transmit viruses as well. And there's a, a rare virus that's uh, tick transmitted called Powassan virus. But the one we hear about most often is Lyme. Is it because the incidence of Lyme disease is greater than all the other uh, pathogens that you just mentioned? Yeah, 100%. Lyme, especially in Canada, is by far the most important tick-transmitted illness because it is by far the most common tick-transmitted illness. Listen, we are going to see more of those other ones uh, as we have more and more ticks and as ticks survive the winter and as climate change influences uh, the spread of pathogens globally, we will see more infections that many people might not have heard of, like babesiosis and anaplasmosis. We will see more of those in Canada. But if we timestamp to summer 2023, 
we're going to see more Lyme than any of those other ones combined, by far. Are there places across the country with more ticks that carry Lyme than other places? There absolutely are. There certainly are hot spots in Canada for Lyme and, and for ticks. Um, Southern Ontario is certainly a hot spot. Many, many parts of Nova Scotia, especially where it abuts New Brunswick, are hot spots. There's parts of Southern Manitoba as well. As, and, and where Southern Manitoba borders Northern Ontario, there's uh, Lyme pockets there for sure. Uh, and of course, uh, in uh, British Columbia as well, the southern part of British Columbia, those are hot spots. Now, of course, there's Lyme and ticks outside of those zones, but with the tick surveillance and the Lyme surveillance that we have in Canada, it appears that those areas, which, you know, of course, are heavily populated areas, have a greater uh, incidence of, of Lyme disease. So a higher population, are there climate change issues uh, that could be playing a role in the increased incidence? I think that's absolutely correct. And, you know, if you look at surveillance uh, for Lyme in Canada over years, you know, this is something that happens in the background over years and years and years. You're seeing the northern migration of, of ticks and Lyme as well, and, and of course, other tick transmitted illnesses. And as ticks can survive the winters uh, in greater frequency, and as uh, ticks spread to other other more northern climates because they can survive in those northern climates, you're going to see more tick-transmitted illnesses. So even if you look at human cases of Lyme in Canada year over year, there's certainly an upward trend when you go back and, and monitor this over you know the past 10 and 20 years. We're seeing more and more Lyme year after year in Canada. There's an upward trend for sure. You mentioned that you go hiking, you go canoeing in the summer, and, and you know clearly if you're going into wooded areas, you're at risk of getting bitten by ticks. But I've heard recently that golfers uh, are also finding that they're bitten by ticks as well. Is, is that a new trend? I was going to make a terrible joke, and it's, it depends on how good a golfer you are, because ticks really like a particular <laughs> environment. So like, if you're staying on the fairway, you know, ticks are not going to be hanging out in short grass all that often. Ticks really love wooded areas and tall grass. So if your ball is in the rough and you're spending a lot of time in the woods hacking away, yeah, sure, you're probably in, in, uh, in tick territory. But, you know, obviously not to make light of a situation, but, you know, there are certain geographic areas where we see more line. But if you want to get more picky, there, there are particular environments, and it really is wooded areas and grassy areas, particularly tall grass, those are tick habitats. And when we come into contact with those tick habitats, we can obviously get exposed to ticks and get tick bites in those areas. But I've also heard that uh, you can get bitten by, by ticks when you're gardening. Sure. I mean, again, it's, you know, the ticks don't read the textbooks, so certainly they can be, they can be anywhere. But, you know, the probability of a, a tick encounter is really in wooded areas and grassy areas, in particular the, the taller grassy areas. That's, that's where they tend to hang out. But of course, they can be in other environments as well. So let's uh, drill down a little deeper into Lyme disease. What are some of the most common symptoms and signs of Lyme disease? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, after a tick bite, uh, if, if uh, the, the tick is infected with Lyme, people can start to experience symptoms anywhere from about 7 to 14 days 
later. The classic early symptom is something is a, a, a classic rash, a characteristic rash called erythema migrans. It looks like a, a target sign that's or a bullseye. It's usually greater than five centimeters. It's usually not uh, itchy, uh, and sometimes it's associated with fatigue, with headaches. Sometimes people have fevers, but not, not nearly as common. They just might feel a little unwell. But that, that classic rash is, is one of the hallmark features. Now, of course, nothing in medicine, just like nothing in life, is, is perfect. And you, know, you might only see that rash in about 80% of people. Sometimes the rash isn't a perfect target sign, but uh, in general, you know, many people that uh, practice medicine have seen this rash, and it's sort of a dead giveaway. So when should people seek medical care? I think it's important to seek medical care if you think you have that rash or if you've come into contact with the tick and had a tick bite and you're feeling and you're feeling crummy or you're feeling unwell. It's not uh, you know we, we, it's not that hard to to make a diagnosis and to and to treat. And certainly, if, if people are feeling unwell or concerned, it's always time to go see to seek care. Would you say that doctors are becoming better informed about the risks of Lyme disease? Let's include nurse practitioners as well. Yes, yes. I think there's lots of room for improvement, but in general, in Canada, I think more and more clinicians are aware of Lyme as a risk, are aware of how to evaluate patients, are aware of what diagnostic tests to send and how to interpret those diagnostic tests, are aware of treatment plans and are aware of where to go for help if they're stuck with a clinical question. Now, like I said, there's room for improvement, but I mean, there's been a big push over the last few years to inform clinicians that Lyme is an issue in Canada. There's a growing burden of Lyme in Canada. And I mean, it's it's all there on the, for example, on the Public Health Agency of Canada's webpage. They talk about Lyme surveillance and uh, Lyme risk. On, I'm pretty sure every single provincial public health page, they talk about how to send tests for Lyme uh, to the public health labs. Uh, and there's uh, guidance for clinicians. So I think we are seeing significant improvement and awareness among Canadian clinicians uh, for, related to Lyme disease. As you know, I'm an emergency physician, and I've lost count of the number of patients who come to the ER saying they've been bitten by a tick. So say at that point they have no symptoms of Lyme disease, what treatment, if any, should patients be receiving at that point? Okay, great question and very timely. So, you know, if someone's been bitten by a tick, you know, the question is, well, well what do you do? Well, for starters, remove the tick and remove the tick as soon as possible. Um, if the tick is indeed a black-legged tick and the tick is removed in less than 24 hours, meaning the tick has not been attached for more than 24 hours, you're okay. It takes some time for uh, Lyme to actually transmit once the tick is attached. So in general, not always, but in general, people will be just fine if that tick is removed quickly and within a 24-hour period of time. If the tick's been attached for longer than 24 hours, obviously you still have to remove the tick, but you can actually give people uh, what's called post-exposure prophylaxis or Lyme post-exposure prophylaxis to reduce the risk of Lyme disease. And um, if the tick was attached for less than 24 hours and it's still within a 72 hour window of an individual seeking care, you can give a person a dose of doxycycline to help protect uh, against a Lyme infection. 
we do it a lot in the summer. I don't think enough people know about this. Uh, you know, if the tick was attached for greater than 24 hours and it's been more than 72 hours for a person seeking care, it's unlikely that that uh, post-exposure prophylaxis with a dose of doxycycline is going to do anything. But if people do seek care in under 72 hours, yeah, you certainly can give people doxycycline. Now, there's a couple of small caveats that kind of annoy me. One is, you know, it's got to be a black-legged tick. Okay, that's fine. They're pretty re easy to identify. Anyone can go on the internet and look at the tick and, and, and see if it's truly a black-legged tick. But those are a predominant tick species. And likely, uh, much of the time, it is a black-legged tick. But sometimes when you're removing the tick, you squish it and it's hard to identify. The second thing is, you know, for this post-exposure prophylaxis, sometimes people say, well, you have to be in an area where there's a lot of Lyme. And the answer to that is, oh, come on. I mean, our surveillance is far from perfect. How do you know if that's an area of, with a lot of Lyme or not? So I, I'm, I'm pretty liberal in, in giving out the post-exposure prophylaxis. One really interesting thing, and I'm talking from Ontario, so I can't comment for the entire country, but at least in Ontario, pharmacists and pharmacies now have the ability to give Lyme post-exposure prophylaxis. They can give a, a, a few other drugs without the need of a, a physician, but Lyme post-exposure prophylaxis is one of them. So we know the challenges uh, of healthcare in Canada right now. We know how hard it is to seek care with a primary care provider and the wait times. We know, of course, you're an emergency room physician. Sometimes the wait times are, are challenging as well. Well, there's plenty of pharmacies and pharmacists in the country, and at least in Ontario, you can go to a, a participating pharmacy and get post-exposure uh, prophylaxis for Lyme, which I think will be a great help to many people, especially those who live in a Lyme endemic area. Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of FrontBurner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day, we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. So Isaac, the point that I want to underscore here that you've said when you, when you talk about being liberal with giving an antibiotic uh, to prevent in the case of a tick bite. If somebody's been bitten by a black-legged tick, you're, you're saying don't spend a lot of time thinking what's the prevalence of Lyme in this area? Do I need to really worry about Lyme? Just treat it. That's, well, post-exposure prophylaxis. Yes, yes. I'm not treating Lyme or prophylaxing Lyme, but yes, I, exactly. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a one-time dose of doxycycline, 200 milligrams. It's like, what are we going to mess around for and start figuring out? Is there a high prevalence or a medium prevalence of Lyme? It's just like, is it a black-legged tick? Has it been on you for less than, or for, for greater than 24 hours? And, you know, did you seek care in that 72-hour window? Sure. Here's your 200 milligrams of doxycycline. I think the other key point here is, if you give the Lyme post-exposure prophylaxis or not, you still have to counsel the patient and say, listen, nothing's perfect. Monitor your symptoms over the next month. If you develop that classic rash, that target rash, the uh, erythema migrans rash, or other symptoms like headaches or fevers or, or malaise, hey, come on back, get care. Let's get a Lyme test and, and, and see. You know, but uh, in general, the post-exposure prophylaxis is pretty effective. So how do most people get diagnosed with Lyme disease? Usually it's, it's through their a primary care provider. A you know, someone comes into uh, clinical care, they say, you know what, I, I had a tick bite, I have a rash, 
a clinician says, oh, tick bite, rash, make the connection, do the test, uh, test positive, treat it, and they're usually good to go. But, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways for people to come to, to medical care. Sometimes there's no history of a tick bite. Sometimes there's a tick bite, but, you know, less typical symptoms, but Lyme is still on the differential diagnosis and, and considered and, some, and the clinician sends off the test. So there's, there's a lot of different ways for people to come to medical care. How important, though, is a confirming test? I think it's extremely important. Early in the course of illness, the test can be negative, and that's also important to know. So, for example, if someone just has a rash of erythema migrans, and it's really early in the course of illness, the test can still be negative. And that's important for clinicians to know because, you know, if you have someone who is in the, the right place with the right exposures, who has the right type of, a, you know, the, the, a rash consistent or a syndrome consistent with Lyme, and you have a negative test, we know that that can still be Lyme and we still treat that. But uh, for other cases, you know, it's still important to you know, if there's any, any concern, it's important, and you have a negative test, you can always repeat that test two to four weeks later, and, and, and you know, that test should be positive two to four weeks later, if there's any ambiguity. Because, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of syndromes out there, and a lot of illnesses out there that can mimic Lyme that aren't Lyme, and you don't want to fall into what we call an anchoring bias and say, oh, you know what, it's got to be Lyme, and don't consider other diagnoses. So it really is important to confirm this infection with the test. And, and uh, you know, Ontario has a pretty reasonable testing algorithm here. Uh, the public health labs are, some people might argue with me, but I think the public health lab does a very good job uh, with, with their Lyme testing. You've already mentioned doxycycline to prevent post-exposure prophylaxis. What are the treatment options for somebody with Lyme disease? Well, there's, there's lots of different uh, antibiotics that we can use to, uh, to treat Lyme. Uh, doxycycline is one of the drugs that we use uh, very regularly. There's other medications that are widely available. For example, amoxicillin could be used. Another drug that's also widely available, cefuroxime. Some people might have allergies to uh, amoxicillin or intolerance to doxycycline. We can use uh, azithromycin or clarithromycin. There's no shortage of, of antibiotic choices for, for Lyme. And, you know, there's various situations. Someone might be pregnant. You don't want to use doxycycline during pregnancy, so you use one of the other options. Like We have a lot of different choices depending on the clinical scenario. Just taking a step back, Isaac, to what extent are cases of Lyme disease being underdiagnosed and undercounted in Canada? My guess is it's pretty significant. I think there's probably a lot more Lyme than we're actually uh, collecting and, and, and documenting here. And if you look at the, uh, the data from the Public Health Agency of Canada, you know, there's anywhere from two to 3,000 cases per year that, that are, are reported. But, you know, we know that there's a, a growing population living in areas that are endemic for Lyme. We know Canadians are out and about in the summer months. We also know, you know, we, we still have room for improvement in terms of informing clinicians and, of course, the general population of Lyme risk. So there, there most certainly are cases that are going underdiagnosed. The surest way to prevent Lyme disease is to avoid tick bites. So what are some of the more effective ways to do that? A couple of easy tricks. One is uh, just be aware that you're, the area that you are in, for example, wooded areas or areas with tall grass are, are areas where Lyme and ticks uh, are, are present. Insect repellents are extremely helpful. Uh, long pants uh, are helpful as well. Um, but of course, you know, sometimes it's really hot. I think it's impractical to tell everyone to wear pants, you know, on a, you know, 35 degrees Celsius day. 
So, you know, but, but certainly long pants can, can help protect against uh, tick bites. And I think the real key here, here is when you come back from a wonderful day outside, it's just important to do a tick check. And that's not something you do by yourself. It's a team sport. It's really helpful to have someone look at some, maybe the back of the legs or the lower back areas where you might not be able to visualize yourself as well and really have a, have a good look up and down to see if there's any ticks. And remember, these can be really small. The nymphs are tiny. They can be two millimeters. So it's not just looking. You can also, uh, if you're by yourself, you just rub your hands down the back of your legs, for example, to see if you feel a little bump there. And, and again, they're pretty easy to remove, but it's important to actually look for them when you come back in. How do you remove a tick? Um, get some tweezers. You really want to grasp the tick as close to the head as possible, and you pull up in a perpendicular to, to the skin in a, in a vertical way. Uh, you want to be sure that you get everything out, so including the mouthpieces of the tick. So you've got to be sort of it sounds funny, but gentle but firm uh, when you're removing them. It's not that hard to do, uh, and I think people can do this on their own pretty easily. There's wonderful videos available on the internet, on YouTube and whatnot, to show people how to remove ticks, but it's really as simple as grab it with tweezers, grab it as close to the head as possible, pull it out slowly, and all is well. Those are most of the questions I want to ask. What's the most important thing you want to leave people with? Enjoy the outside. We are so lucky to live in Canada. We have beautiful wilderness and it's just important to recognize that yes there are ticks out there yes some ticks can transmit Lyme and other infections but that's no reason to avoid the out of doors simple things like uh, insect repellent and tick checks afterwards are very very uh, easy to do and can reduce the risk of tick bites if someone gets a tick bite it's not the end of the world pull the tick out if the tick's been on for greater than 24 hours uh, you can get uh, an antibiotic to at least reduce the risk of getting Lyme. Uh, but I really hope people enjoy the Canadian outdoors. It's gorgeous, and we should all be out there as much as possible. Well, those are great words of advice. Isaac Bogosh, thank you so much for coming back onto The Dose to talk about Lyme disease and about tick bites. My pleasure, Brian. Always happy to chat. Dr. Isaac Bogosh is an infectious diseases physician at University Health Network in Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice. Climate change and the resulting warmer weather mean that tick populations are growing across Canada. Ticks carry several diseases, but Lyme disease is the most common. Ticks are most commonly found in wooded areas. Leisure activities in which you risk being bitten include hiking, mountain biking, and golfing. High-risk occupations include landscaping, forestry, brush cleaning, land surveying, and farming. Ticks are usually more active in the months of April through October and peak in the summer months of June through August. The best way to prevent Lyme disease is to avoid tick bites by wearing protective clothing and by using insect repellent. Perform a tick check as soon as you leave a wooded area. Ask a partner to check for ticks on the backs of your legs and your lower back. If you get bitten by a tick, remove it immediately using a pair of tweezers as close to the tick's head as possible. Pull vertically on the tick to remove it. Ticks removed within 24 hours of the bite require no further treatment. For tick bites that are more than 24 but less than 72 hours old, a single dose of antibiotic can prevent Lyme disease. Symptoms of Lyme disease tend to occur 10 to 14 days following a tick bite but can occur earlier. Typical symptoms include a target or bullseye rash, as well as fever, fatigue, malaise, as well as joint and muscle aches. Lyme disease is usually treated successfully with a course of a wide selection of antibiotics. 
keep in mind that some people with Lyme disease do not recall getting a tick bite. All cases of Lyme disease need to be treated. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. This edition of The Dose was produced by Isabel Gallant. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.